Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. There is a worsening jihadist insurgency in a province in northern Mozambique called Cabo Delgado. The insurgency began in 2017, but in recent weeks, the fighting has intensified substantially. Over half a million people have been displaced, most over the past few months. And in early January 2021, the French energy company Total announced it was suspending operations on a massive $3.9 billion natural gas project in the region amid concerns about safety of personnel. The jihadist group is known as Alusuna Waljame. It also is referred to locally as Al-Shabaab, though it has no known ties to the Somali group with the same name. The group espouses a puritanical view of Islam and has pledged fidelity to the Islamic State. And like the Islamic State, it is capturing territory and committing atrocities in the process, including several reported mass beheadings. My guest today, Zainada Machado, is a senior researcher with the Africa Division of Human Rights Watch. I caught up with her from Maputo, the capital of Mozambique. She explains the history of this insurgency, including how this group has shifted tactics from targeted assassinations to, more recently, capturing territory, including strategically important cities and corridors. We discuss how the response by the Mozambican security forces have sometimes undermined counterinsurgency efforts, and how the fighting is causing a massive humanitarian crisis in Mozambique. The crisis in northern Mozambique is not something that is generating many headlines here in the United States, but it is something that the humanitarian community and people around the United Nations are increasingly concerned about. This conversation does an excellent job, I think, of explaining exactly what we know about this insurgency and how the international community may better confront this brewing crisis in northern Mozambique. This episode is supported in part from a grant from the Carnegie Corporation of New York to showcase African voices in peace and security issues. To access other episodes in this series please visit globaldispatchespodcast.com. And now here is my conversation with Zainada Machado of Human Rights Watch. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. 
Cabo Delgado is a province on the fan, farthest north of the country. It borders Tanzania, so it's southern of Tanzania, northern of Mozambique. Then uh, on the west side, it's a province called Nyasa. On the east side is the Indian Ocean, and that would also mean going further down Madagascar and so on. Um, uh, on the south is another province called uh, Nampula. This province has been known for its beautiful beaches, uh, where many people around the world, including uh, some of the most famous artists and uh, uh, entrepreneurs have spent their holidays there. Yeah, it's a. It was at one point a big tourist hotspot, right? Yes, it is. It's a very beautiful place. What do we know about the origins of this insurgency that uh, seems to be gaining steam in that region? How did this insurgency begin, and, and who started it? Those who study Islam in Cabo Delgado will tell you that. Uh, Decades ago, there was a, a already a conflict among the different Islamic groups uh, in the province, and and and, and those those uh, conflicts grew to become um, some sort of uh, major divisions around the lines of Islamic ideology. I'm not a specialist on Islam, so I will not go <laughs> onto those discussions. Um, what I can tell you is that uh, surprisingly in October 2017, uh, after a group that is believed to be part of a local mosque that seemed to be practicing a very radical um, uh, line of Islam, uh, decided to break into some police stations to... Uh, free some of their friends who had been detained by security forces for bad practices. And those bad practices, the security forces will tell you, um, vary from uh, uh, stealing, uh, kidnappings, uh, practices of uh, of, uh, religious habits that were not uh, familiar to the Mozambican uh, uh, environment or culture. Yeah, I've seen I've seen October 2017 as exactly. a date often referred to as the start mm-hmm. of this insurgency. We often use that specific event as a point of reference of the start of the insurgency, but of course we shouldn't ignore a series of other small sporadic uh, cases and events that have happened for decades in that region that. Mm-hmm might indeed have led to what we are seeing today in Cabo Delgado. What do you call this group? I've seen it referred to by various names in different media outlets. How do you refer to this insurgent group? Uh, locally, people call them as Al-Shabaab, although there seems to be no clear uh, link between them and the Al-Shabaab group operating in Somalia. It's just a generic term that means like the students or something like that, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, but 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 they are also known as Alasana Wajana, uh, which is the name that we often use to to call them. 
Following October 2017, how did the this group evolve? How did it start to say flex its muscles and you know commit uh, acts of violence in service of whatever political aims it has? Mm. I mean, the first sign indeed that this was not just a a, a, a normal criminal activities was how they responded to the security forces when the security force them cracked down on them uh, in response to their actions of trying to break away, break into, into jails and police stations. There was a total lockdown for over two or three days uh, of, uh, of Simba the prior then, uh, where the security forces were, tra- were fi- literally exchanging fire uh, with these armed groups. And uh, I say armed groups because that's how the security forces called them at the beginning. Uh, and uh, they, for, for, for some time, and I think for about eight months or even longer, uh, the security forces, security forces referred to them as armed groups, criminal elements, armed groups that were just trying to to commit crime, steal, and destabilize one or another village. But but the characteristics of their operations made us uh, very soon, very early, um, to suspect that this could be something bigger. And when I mean characteristics, I'm talking about them going to the villages, burning down the houses, beheading people, uh, in some cases, burning religious symbols, uh, including Alcoran books and uh, mosque mats. And uh, at, in some cases, according to testimonies of people we spoke to, they would, for example, suggest that the type of Islam that was being practiced in Kabdelgad was one that was very liberal and was not according to uh, the principles of their religion. Um, they we also know that they killed some religions leaders, uh, and 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 all of that created some sort of an animosity between them and the government force. And the government force response was to shut down several mosques, uh, detain several religious leaders. Uh, and it was clear that there was more than a simple criminal element there. Uh, there was a, a, a sort of ideology, religious uh, a, a link that the government uh, public refused to acknowledge. Uh, it's only now recently that the government has openly uh, admitted that it's fighting an Islamist uh, a group and that what they're doing on the ground is effectively terrorism. It seems that in recent months, the pace and scale of attacks by this group has increased sharply. Uh, Do you know what changed and can you maybe describe what's been happening in Cabo Delgado for the last uh, few months now? Mm. Um, As I was telling you, I mean, the beginning, it was them targeting specific people when it came to committing assassinations. The rest of the activities uh, were limited to burning down uh, villages. Then they moved into clearly uh, facing security. And again, let me point out that also at the beginning, they would not uh, face the security force. They would arrive at the village, burn down, and then leave before security forces arrive. 
it was, I used to call it a dam, a sort of cat and mouse game. Because quite often uh, security forces were frustrated by the fact that whenever they arrived at the village that had been suffering overnight, uh, the insurgents were no longer there. Uh, and while it was left for security forces and the soldiers in this case, or in police officers, was to help people to clean up the mess and... Uh, and, and again, the, and commit abuses they themselves because they were so confused about who had done those kind of uh, 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 atrocities that they would uh, arbitrarily go around arrest everybody. And uh, we, as Human Rights Watch at the time, uh, did document the, the issue of arbitrary detentions and uh, enforced disappearance of, of some people that were in custody. Um, and then they move into, for example, blocking roads to stop security forces from arriving at certain places. Uh, then they move into not just targeting specific people. And when I say specific people, I'm talking about often state employees and local leaders. Hmm. Talking about uh, nurses, teachers, uh, uh, local community leaders. These are the people that they used to target. Uh, but then they move into into an indiscriminate type of 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 of, of uh, atrocities, whereby they would arrive at the village, destroy everything, loot, and then kill indiscriminately those who don't money cannot run. They would simply kill them and. Uh, those who refuse to join the group because they, they when they go to certain village they try to recruit the young people to join them and those for example refuse to join the group would be uh, report, uh beheaded right beheaded exactly thank you for, for, for yeah for, yeah for the, the, the reports of the beheading is be what exactly. um first i think caught some international attention these mass beheadings that would accompany mm-hmm. attacks by this group against villages but it seemed at some point this summer, um, this tactic you described of sort of capturing villages and retaining and capturing territory seemed to be what they were up to. They, they over the summer, uh, captured some strategic port. And now, as we're speaking, seem to be expanding territory that they control. Yes, but what, what, two points I need to make there, Mark. One yeah. is that things were not necessarily new when the media reporters came in. Mm. Uh, what happened was that um, two things. One, the security forces uh, began to be more forthcoming about what was going on on the ground. And uh, they started giving press conferences and announcing those killings and the number of people that had been killed. One, the second point is that people that had been uh, trapped in regions that had been inaccessible since uh, the Kennedy cyclone uh, were now able to come out and tell the story of what had happened where they were. But 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 the, the, the issue of, of, of beheadings have been there ever since 20, early 2018. I personally visited villages around May, June, uh, 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 and, and, and people just told me about beheadings. I have pictures of beheadings of people mm. that had all their bodies chopped off 
uh, by the alleged insurgents. So it's a practice that had been there. The, what we began to see through the press reports is the extension of what they were doing. Mm. Um, um, that, that's, that's, that's what I think uh, it happened then, yeah. So can, can you maybe just bring us up to date? We're speaking in early January. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just yesterday, uh, we're speaking, I think, January 5th. And, and just yesterday, uh, there was reports that the giant French uh, energy company, Total, is suspending mm-hmm. operations in this region. They had this, like, giant um, multi-billion dollar uh, natural gas project. Uh, and they're suspending operations because the territory that these insurgents are capturing is sort of inching closer and closer to that total concession. Um, where do things stand sort of uh, right now as we enter 2021 20, uh, in terms of this uh, insurgency? Okay, Mark, before I respond to that, let me just make a point that I it, it laps my mind when I was discussing this issue is the issue of occupying territory that what I wanted to mention is that it is also um, uh, a challenge for us at the moment and for many media groups to establish uh, how much of the territory is under control of 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 the insurgents if any territory is under control at all because most of the information we are getting is from people who have left those villages many, many weeks ago. Uh, and the security forces have since denied, even on the case where we had clear evidence that they had occupied, for example, in the case of the port of port town of Mosin Wadapraya that was occupied for several weeks. The security force kept denying that it was the case. The government denied that any territory was under security forces. And then, surprisingly, weeks later, there were reports that the security forces had regained control of a town that they never admitted that it was under control of insurgents. Mm. So those kind of uh, of unclear information that we get from the government also doesn't help us to establish facts on the ground. Mm. Now, going back to your point about uh, Total, I think it's said that the decision of, of Total... Uh, is to shut down the operations. We had warned them at the beginning of this process that uh, going into deals with the government to protect their operations and their staff wasn't enough to stop the problem. Uh, and that it would be really sad to see them operating in isolated areas where most of the population had already left for fear of being killed by insurgents. And that be apart from making uh, security deals with the government, there was a need of uh, the international community to help locals uh, 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 to face what is going on, to, to help the government to address serious problems that are on the ground, including, for example, uh, access to those who remain trapped. I mean, the people that are arriving in towns right now uh, in safe areas, they have not. They are not coming from village. They are coming from the bush. They have been in the bush for weeks, for months. They have left their villages long ago. Uh, so, going to the, your question about uh, where are we going with this one, my, my answer would be I don't know. Mm. Um, and, and I hope this the breaking news that Total has decided to halt the operations. 
uh, would actually serve as a red flag to everybody out there on the international community that what is going on in Cap Delgado is seriously and uh, and and it needs uh, cooperation uh, not only from Mozambicans but also regionally and internationally uh, to make sure that uh, that area doesn't an area that was in the past known as a beautiful place for tourists with brilliant people amazing people doesn't turn into a deserted isolated area where Multinationals can only go and explore gas offshore, and uh, the local people not benefit from it. Uh, so earlier, you described that this this insurgent group, you know, espouses a puritanical ideology, almost akin to to the Islamic State, uh, and mm-hmm. they have maybe professed, or the media perhaps has professed upon them um, some relationship to the Islamic State. You know. Is there a relationship there? Do they seem to be sort of inspired by the Islamic State in in any way? Uh, What we know for a fact is that the Islamic State, through their social media, have announced uh, some gains in the conflict that is going on in Cap Delgado. Surprisingly, quite often we find out about the serious battles through those social media that uh, belong to to Islamic State. Um, what it what leads us to believe that the group that is operating in Mozambique has somehow, if not part of the Islamic State, has somehow pledged alliance to the Islamic State. Mm. Uh, some people who study the Islamic State and study what is going on in Mozambique will tell you that it doesn't necessarily mean that the Islamic State is on the ground fighting, but could mean that the association uh, will lead them, one, to supply maybe uh, weaponry or any other things that the insurgents in northern Mozambique might need, Number two, it also helps to boost their publicity, which could mean also that uh, fighters from around the continent can now feel uh, enticed to come down to Mozambique and the group that is fighting in Cap Delgado. I think the second option is, 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 is very likely because we have seen over the past months um, many people over the past months and years, pe- many people from other countries in the continent being arrested in Mozambique, including people from Tanzania, people from Congo, people as far as f- from Kenya and Uganda, uh, who have historically, according to the Mozambican government, links with other t- this type of uh, jihadism activities uh, in other parts of the continent. Um, does this group, to your knowledge, have any discernible political aims? Like, do they want to overthrow the government in Maputo? Like, what what do we know so far about what they are seeking to do by capturing these towns? Like, what are their goals? We don't know anything from them directly. We know what we know so far is from studies, independent studies. Uh, carried out by Mozambican uh, researchers about the origins of the group, their objectives, 
And uh, so far, what we understand by reading those studies is that this group allegedly wants to implement uh, a, 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 a jihadi state uh, in some regions of Cap Delgado. And those regions will be uh, the ones that are, no, are along the coastal uh, area of the province and uh, which are traditionally to date um, largely uh, Muslim uh, uh, areas. So basically to control some of the territory in Cabo Delgado and make it an Islamic state. Yes, and uh, coincidentally, those are also the areas where the new gas and uh, explorations are. Um, And can you tell listeners a little bit about the humanitarian implications of this fighting? I've seen figures that some half a million people have been displaced, more than half a million people have been displaced Mm -hmm. um, by this fighting. The majority of the displacements have happened basically since like November. Um, What do we know about the humanitarian situation uh, right now in that region and its sort of broader impact on Mozambican you know, peace and security. Mm. The humanitarian situation is bad. Um, I mean, I think when we say 500, it doesn't, 500 people that have been displaced, the number per se doesn't say much. But I can give you examples of how this number uh, is translated on the ground. Uh, for example, I have been speaking with people since September, since August, who have uh, in their houses more than 50 people that they've never seen before. Uh, so what, like people who are displaced would just flock yes, and, and, see arrived, and ask for shelter. Yes, and, yes wow. people who came to Pemba Town looking for shelter and uh, volunteers decided, okay, come stay in my house. And then after a week or so, they found themselves accommodating over 50 people. And I'm not talking about one or two people. I'm talking about dozens of people in those circumstances, man. Hmm. Uh, let me give you another example. The governor of Cabo Delgado says that Pemba currently is hosting two times more what it used to, to host as uh, normally. Uh, let me give you another example. In a weekend alone, we had 6,000 people or more than 6,000 people arriving by boats on a beach and sleeping over at the beach because they had nowhere to go. I mean, I'm giving those small examples to give an idea of what those 500 people mean exactly. And then those people that were arriving on those beaches, we had a chance to, to talk to some of them what they were telling us is that they were not coming from any villages such. They had left their villages many months ago and they had been living in the bush. And what they described to us of what they saw in the, in the bush is just appalling. They told us that there are lots of bodies laying down all over the place, that they survived by hiding both from security forces and insurgents. And that on their way, trying to find safety, some of them ended up being kidnapped. So there were lots of people, including children, that didn't know about their relatives were whereabouts. So we found people with disabilities that had found their way into the boat through the help of strangers. 
We found children who did not know where their parents were. We spoke to parents who had their children kidnapped. They did not know where their children were. We found with husbands who had half of their children because the wife had run the other side with the other half. And they couldn't tell us whether the wife was still alive and the children were still alive. So that's the type of scenario that I'm, I'm talking about. And then we, we come out of that personal angle. We'll go down to the issue of health, feeding, uh, and, and cultural shocks. Uh, there is no enough food. Uh, there is no enough shelter for them. The government has had to create uh, two extra IDP camps in other provinces, in Nias and Nampula to accommodate people because the capital of Cap Delgado, which is one of the safest areas, and also another district where people have been sent to called Montepuesh, just don't have enough space anymore to accommodate anybody coming from the areas of conflict. I mean, you're describing a humanitarian crisis, human rights catastrophe, and profound security challenge for the state, all all sort of wrapped up in this one horrific insurgency. Is there what can be done to um, sort of reduce levels of violence and displacement at this point? I I I I, I don't know what can be done to reduce the violence. Uh, from the side of the insurgents, apart from condemning their actions and remind them of the basic principles that whatever they're fighting for should not lead to this type of humanitarian crisis and should not lead to the suffering of innocent civilians. Uh, on the side of the government, uh, I think we have to reiterate, keep reiterating that security force cannot be operating like uh, bandits and that people should not be running away from insurgents only to find themselves trapped again when they meet security forces who will then commit abuse against them. When somebody sees a man in uniform, they should feel safe and know that uh, finally some sort of hope is on the way. It's not happening at the moment. Mm. Um, there are certain issues that the government can do to minimize the suffering of people. One, 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 one small example, uh, as I speak, is that uh, um, uh, there are no safe routes. I mean, as I explained to you, people have left their villages many months ago. Uh, they are in the bush. And uh, they are finding their way to safe areas by themselves. I mean, either by using boats or them, some of them by walking for weeks. And the question one wonders all the time is that why is that? Um, wh- why are they having to go to safe areas by themselves? Where, where are the government structures? Mm-hmm. Where are the security forces? Uh, so there is a need for an urgent safe route that allows one for people to leave the areas of conflict to safe areas uh, and to, if they choose to do so. And then the second one to allow humanitarian uh, aid to get to the areas uh, where people are trapped uh, uh, if they choose to stay there. Before I, I let you go, is there anything else you want to mention or, or discuss or any other point you wanted to make before uh, we end the interview? Um, maybe the, the need for, 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 for regional groups to 
be more proactive on events that happening in happening in Mozambique. Like the um, SADC, the South the Southern African the, Development the Corporation. The African Union, yes. I mean, we, we it, it it won't it doesn't really work for them to say they are on top of it and that they are condemning the actions of the insurgents and that they have they are fully behind the Mozambican government. Those kind of statements are not enough. Uh, this is not the first time that Mozambique is involved in a conflict. And uh, the absence of the regional groups in those conflicts has have become a normal practice. It is sometimes as if we were dealing with a country that is isolated from anywhere else. Um, uh, so they, they, they need to step up on their on their actions and 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 show clear uh, will to to defend the rights of the Mozambican people um, and 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 to make sure that this conflict doesn't spread around the region. Uh, and 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 I think is 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 um, also important to mention at this stage that when the house of your neighbor is is on fire, you, you should not ignore it because you don't know how strong it that's fire and how far can it reach. It can end up coming to your own home. And and, and uh, to that end, I mean, I've seen reports that insurgents are are sort of targeting Tanzania at, at this point. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Um, and. Um, yeah, they might not necessarily go and attack Malawi or Zimbabwe or Zambia, uh, but uh, the the humanitarian crisis that the conflict will cause will at one point uh, uh, overflow to, to the neighboring countries. Tanzania itself, where you rightly pointed out that they have already been hit by conflict, uh, has also uh, experienced uh, an avalanche of uh, of uh, of Mozambican refugees um, uh, that that run away from areas of uh, northern capital Gat. Uh Well, thank you, thank you so much for your time. This was uh, just very helpful in in helping me understand the situation. I'm sure to my listeners as well. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about the conflict. All right. Thank you all for listening to this episode. Thank you so much to Zainada Machado. That was very helpful. And like I said, this is one of those stories that, you know, is not getting much attention here in the United States, or I suspect in much of the West, but it is nevertheless something that is very much a brewing crisis that uh, has a lot of uh, signals going off around the United Nations and, and elsewhere. And I'm glad to bring this topic to you. And just one disclaimer, the opinions expressed in this episode are solely the responsibility of those who expressed them. I do have one uh, announcement I need to make. I I have taken the extraordinary step of removing an April 2020 episode from the podcast archive. The interview focused on a report published by The Century, which is a corruption watchdog group, and that report purported to expose corruption in Sudan during the reign of the now-deposed dictator Omar al-Bashir. The entirety of that episode was an interview about the report. Uh, However, the report has been removed from the website of The Century. 
I've asked for an on-the-record reason and explanation from the century about why this report was removed, but I did not receive an on-the-record explanation. I've therefore taken that extraordinary step because the fact base upon which the interview revolves is no longer available. All right. Well, thanks for listening. As always, thank you for your support and I'll see you next time. Bye.